Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Morning, everybody. I got to be honest, I'm excited about Christmas, but I think Christmas songs are harder to sing for me than any of them. This may not make sense to any of you, of which most can probably sing, and I cannot, but the word holy is the hardest word for me to sing. And when you do the little divine thing, Paul, nothing divine about what's coming out of my mouth. Mm-mm, it's bad. It's bad news. Um, my name is Will, and I'm one of the pastors. Brad, who is typically up here on Sunday mornings, is in California with his family for Thanksgiving. And hopefully you guys had a wonderful Thanksgiving as well. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5. So if you want, you can go ahead and start flipping there now. If you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to take one from the chair in front of you. And depending on which one you pick up, it'll either be on page 634 or 810, depending on the version of the Bible that you pick up. And, and while you're doing that, let me, let me just mention a couple couple of youth things because I didn't have a chance to. We have a busy week for youth and young adults. So uh, deposits are due for ski retreat tonight. So don't forget about that. $100 deposit is due. Uh, On the 4th, we are having a little rock climbing uh, get together. And for the middle schoolers, it's an overnighter. So you get to spend the night at Treadstone. And then finally, this Wednesday for young adults, we're getting together for a prayer night out at our house on this side of the Thanksgiving holidays. So things are moving back into the normal swing of things. All right, I'm going to read Matthew 5, 33 through 37, and then I'm going to pray for it. So if you would go ahead, noses in the book, let me read. And then I'm going to pray and tell you How this passage in particular messed my week up pretty good. All right, Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. My wife and I, uh, this past week, we got back on Tuesday. So last weekend, we celebrated our 10-year anniversary. We've been married for 10 years. And to do that, I wanted to do something cheaper, but... It's the anniversary, so you do what the wife wants, right? So uh, we went to New York City, which not... I went to once, like with the Lions Club in the fifth grade, Um, so I didn't remember anything. Uh, So we decided to go to New York, and it was a great trip, phenomenal trip. Kids stayed uh, with the parents, with the grandparents, and um, we're flying back on Tuesday, if I'm remembering correctly, and my wife reminds me, as you know, it's kind of a slap in the face, welcome back to the real world. Um, we, We land, and she's like, hey... Tomorrow, we're driving to Podunk, Alabama for Thanksgiving, and then we're driving back home with the kids. And here's what happens inside of me and probably most of you guys. It's like, come on. Like, I get it. It's Thanksgiving, and it's family, and it's your family. Still love them. It's your family. So, but but here is my thing. Why are we driving three hours to eat dinner with people I don't know? I, I, like... 
It's third cousin type stuff. Like, I don't really know them well. With the kids in the back, we're going to be there for an hour and a half, two hours. Then we're going to put the kids back in the car and drive back home another two or three hours. And I'm like, that's crazy. Why are we doing this? To which my wife responds, will you do this every year? I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, you complain about us doing this every year. So now I've come up with a system. The system is every other year, which I think is fairly reasonable. But what I start doing is I start saying, here's the deal. We're on our way to pick up our kids. We haven't seen them in a few days. We have three kids. They're all boys. Hygiene is at a low at their age. Odds are one of them's sick. One of them's got to be sick. They're always sick. Somebody's always sick. So I am, <laughs> I am hoping for the worst in my children so that I do not have to fulfill my obligation to go and see people. And they're fine. We wake up the next day, and I feel sick. And I'm like, okay, I get it, God. But it's not sick enough to not go. It's just sick enough to be crummy the whole day until you get in the car. It's horrible. So that's how. And I had to do it because I'm preaching on it. And even if I wasn't preaching on it, this is what I've been like reading and thinking about. And so I knew, okay, you got to show up. you got to make the drive. So I did. Let, let me say this. I think in reading a text like this, most of us think along the lines of, I am not bequeathing my wife to master so-and-so, and therefore I am not making very many oaths, right? Like walking around making and keeping oaths is not something that is typical in our culture. So let me tell you why I think it's important that we check out this text. First and foremost, it's in God's Word. He could have left it out if he wanted to. He chose not to leave it out. Not only that, we as a church work through God's Word. So God knew exactly the text that was going to be preached and exactly the people who were going to hear it. So if you have any belief in the sovereignty of God, God has a message for you this morning, even on something that may at first reading, seem as odd or far-fetched as oaths being a, a prominent part of your walk with Christ. Secondly, this has a whole lot more to do with honesty and integrity in a culture that just runs after convenience and comfort. That, that's really where the rubber's going to hit the road for us in this. We live in a culture that wants things to be convenient and quick and comfortable and honesty and integrity are not always the, the most comfortable direction to go in. And then if you look, like if you've got your Bibles open and you just look left a little bit, you'll notice things like anger. You'll notice things like lust. You'll notice things like divorce that we've preached on in the prior weeks. And what I want to submit to you is this, that while we may not think of oaths and promises and commitments in the same way that we think about lust or divorce or anger. I would submit to you that our oaths, our promises, us keeping our word is as pervasive as lust. In other words, it occurs as... The reality of it is, we are in this room, before we walk out of a set of double doors, going to struggle with lust or anger or something along those lines. Most people, because we are still broken people in need of a Savior. That's going to happen. What I want to submit to you is, the making and keeping of our word is just as pervasive as that. But what, what to me throws up a huge red flag and a danger sign is when it comes to lust, we're at least ashamed of it. Right? Like, or, or at least we should be. Like, we realize either I'm ashamed of that or I should be ashamed of that. I, I hide it. When it comes to our words, we just disregard it. And that's a scary, dangerous thing. 
Because if God's word is saying us being people of honesty and integrity and honoring our word is essential, if it was important enough for Jesus to tuck in with anger and divorce, and if it's important enough to be there, the fact that we disregard it probably makes this as maybe even more dangerous to us. The, the Bible doesn't give us any category for sin that is okay. There is no cushy sin. There is no cute sin. There are no acceptable sins. According to James, all sins lead to death, and not just physical death, but death and separation from God. So this is extremely important. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to get started. Heavenly Father, as we break into your word, I pray that you would break into our hearts and into our minds this morning. We use words more than anything else. It it, it defines very much who we are. And God, many times we are so flippant and and, and we disregard the things that that we say. We have such a poor reign of our tongues. And so much in your word has to do with the way that we use the voice that you have given us. And so, Father, as we pour into this and we think about commitment and honesty and integrity as men and women of God, and for those who are in this room that haven't responded to the gospel, I pray, God, that that they would see a God who makes promises and keeps promises, and that is the only hope that we have, is a God that makes and keeps His Word. So, Father, this morning, may we love God. Your word. May we be enamored with your word. May we be overwhelmed with your word. And may the byproduct, may the overflow of that be that we as creatures created in your own image would likewise manner our words as you do. Father, I pray that you would do that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, let's get started, and and let me kind of just give you a a real quick outline of what we're going to do this morning. As we've kind of done in the Sermon on the Mount, most of the time Jesus is responding to something that has been twisted or taken out of context in his culture. So uh, here's kind of, for those of you note takers, here's your bullet list. Number one, we're going to look at what does God say? What did God actually say in the Old Testament? What laws are they looking at? Are they breaking or not breaking? Secondly, we're going to look at how these were twisted. What's going on in the culture of Jesus's day that caused people to twist God's word? Then we're going to see how Jesus responds to this. How is it that that Jesus brings back into focus? He untwists these words. And then finally, what does it mean for us? How, How can we be a people whose yes is yes and no is no? How can we be a people who honor God by honoring our word. Okay, so, so let's start at number one. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm about to give you a shotgun of scriptures. Don't feel like you need to flip there. I'm just going to give them to you real quick, and they're going to pop up on the screen. What does God say? God's word, word says that oaths are permitted. In fact, oaths in God's name were permitted. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 20 says this, you shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him and hold fast to him and by his name you shall swear. It goes on, we see David does this, um, we see this in 2 Samuel, I, I'm going off the top of, my mind, uh, top of my head here, but David says something along the lines of, may God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I don't. It's a very, it is an oath where God is, where David is basically saying, God, if I do not fulfill my commitment, I'm asking you to deal with me in the severest fashion that you deem necessary 
to, to get my heart back in a right place. We see this in Ruth. In Ruth chapter 1, verse 17, we see this. Where you, uh, in the conversation of Naomi, and is she going to leave? Is she going to say, where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me and you. We, we see this also pick up in the New Testament. Uh, Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. For we, He's talking about the ministry that he was bringing to the Thessalonians. And he says, we never came with words of flattery. Our words weren't flippant. They, weren't, uh, they were thought out, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is my witness. So, the, in the Old Testament, there was no problem with making an oath. There was no problem with making an, an oath and even swearing it in God's name. So why is it that Jesus is going so far in the other direction? I, I want to show you this one. This is out of Hebrews chapter 6. Uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. This is uh, maybe my favorite example. And this is to Abraham. We could pick this up in Genesis, but... We know more in Hebrews than we did in Genesis. Hebrews 6, verse 13 says this. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. Now, when it comes down to it, what is an oath? How is an oath different than any other commitment or a promise? An oath was simply when you would call out to something greater than yourself to bring validity to what you were saying. That's, that's what an oath is. And we see this because God is basically saying, there's nothing greater that I can swear by. But if you're making a commitment, if David or if somebody in the Old Testament was making a commitment, they would say, I swear, I, this is where we get our term, I swear to God. We do this in our own, um, what is it we say? Uh, we don't say it a ton, uh, but you see it all the time in the movies. Oh, on my mother's grave, right? I don't know how that's greater She's gone. I get it. We love our moms. But, but that is an example. Kids even do it. Cross my heart. Hope to die. Right? Like, this is all just a new vernacular of what's been saying from the very beginning. It, it, it's the same as twisting our finger. Cross my heart and hope to, uh, to die. Stick a needle in my eye. Like, that would be horrible. I promise you I will give you gum when we get to lunch. Right? That's what's being said. And, and, and it's the exact same thing here. An oath was calling out to something greater than ourselves. Listen to how this plays out. It goes on. And thus Abraham, this is verse 15, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Verse 16. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise. When God wanted to show, without a shadow of a doubt, to his kids, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. God was not making an oath to prove that he was going to be good. He's God, he's going to be good. He wasn't making an oath to say, no, really, this time I'm going to honor. He's God, he was going to do it. Why was he giving an oath? He was doing it for Abraham, he was doing it for you. The reason God made an oath was because it was supposed to elicit faith in him. Just as when he made another covenant with Abraham and this flaming pot goes through this dead animal, what's basically being said is, if this doesn't happen, death will come. And it can't come to me, so it's going to happen. 
These promises are ours. It goes on. Verse 18. So that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we hit the gospel real early here. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. You see, what we're going to find is that in Jesus' day, people were not trusting in God. Their oaths didn't carry any weight. They were making vows and oaths because they knew their word couldn't be trusted. And yet God in Hebrews is basically highlighting the cross. And he's saying, if there is one thing that you must know is sure, if there's one thing that you need to know is secure, it is this. There is no hope for you. There is no chance for you to be right with me if it's not for that. That's it. That's the whole thing. That's the promise. And I vow to you that that will always be the way. It was yesterday when they didn't understand it. It is today and it will be until Christ returns. There is no way to the Father except through the Son. That's what he's saying. And so we, we kind of hit the gospel here. Are, are we trusting in something other than God's promise? Are we trusting in ourselves? Are we trusting in our work? Are we trusting in our ability? Are we, you, you fill in your own blank. Or is your assurance simply found that Jesus died and said, for those who trust in me, their sins will be forgiven and they will be made right with God. I am promising you that, says Jesus. And my promise comes with the weight of my Father and he is no liar and it will be fulfilled. What are you trusting in, it says. So oaths are permitted. Here's the problem. The problem, and we see this in Leviticus 19. I'm going to hit this quick. Don't turn there. In Leviticus 19.12, we read this. You shall not swear by my name falsely. This makes sense to us. The big question that should be hitting us now is why did anybody get this messed up? I'll explain that. You shall not swear by my name falsely. Why? Because to do so is to profane the name of the Lord your, your God. I am the Lord. God said, here's the deal. You can swear by my name, but if you do, you better fulfill what you're saying you're going to do. And that brings us into the context of why would Jesus say they shouldn't make an oath at all? Why would he say that? How is Jesus going to come in and untwist these words that are are misrepresented by the Jewish leaders? All right, so let's look back at our main text, Matthew chapter 5. All right, Matthew 5, 33. I'm going to reread it one more time. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely. Remember, I just read that from Leviticus. But shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. This sounds, eyes up for one minute, eyes up for one This sounds really similar to what's been said already. How are they getting this wrong? If I were to say to you, hey guys, you shouldn't swear falsely, but you should perform to the Lord what you have sworn, all of us would say, yeah. That sounds good. Why is Jesus taking case with this? Well, it goes on. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, or, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And don't take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Some of you can. Back here, they could not. This was an issue back then. Jesus would have used a different example, I think, today. But what he was saying is, You got no control over yourself getting older. You swearing even by yourself doesn't carry that much weight. Let what you say 
be simply yes or no. Anything else comes from evil. Here's here's where the kick is. It's that little phrase, to the Lord. Because what was happening in in Jesus' day was that the religious leaders, the, the Pharisees and whatnot, they had this document called the Mishnah. I'm going to give you a little bit of history, okay? They had this document called the Mishnah. And the Mishnah had rules written by the rabbis. Not written by God, written by the rabbis. And they had different, I mean, it was categorized, had a table of contents. And one of the segments was on whether or not you had to keep an oath. Now think about that. Whether or not you have to keep an oath. That should have been a red flag for them right there. Like, Common decency tells my four-year-old that when he picks his nose and eats it, and I say, did you pick your nose? And he says, no, he's getting a double punishment. If he had said yes, I could just punish the booger eating. But because he has said no, now he has compounded booger eating with being a liar. Or lying, I should say. That is a very true-to-home example. Our son had a bar of soap in his mouth. This is how we deal with boogers in our home, in case there's any application for y'all. If you eat a booger, you eat soap. That's how it plays out. It's the same. Anyway, so in this document called the Mishnah, they had this series of what is binding and what is not. It was, I, I wish I had a whiteboard here. So just imagine seeing words right now. They had this coded system of wording and syntax where you could say, if you swear by Jerusalem, you've got to keep that. No, no, no. If you swear by Jerusalem, you don't have to keep that oath. But if you swear toward Jerusalem, you do. That's how it played out. And there are more, in fact, there are examples in Jesus' day. Uh, we'll, we'll see this, uh, well, I don't want to turn, uh, we'll turn there now. Matthew 23. Just flip over to the right a minute. Matthew 23, verse 16. So here's an example of what Jesus is dealing with, with these folks who are cutting words because they've come up with this. You know what the system's like? I'll give you an example. And you can appreciate this because you're not going to forget it for at least one month. (laughs) Because it's going to be everywhere. You know the movie A Christmas... Bless you. You know the movie A Christmas Story? You know what I'm talking about? Okay. I I think the kid's name is Flick. You remember when Flick is dared to put his tongue on the frozen flagpole? And he's like, it's not going to stick. And then his buddy's like, it's going to stick. And he's like, no, it won't. And he says, I dare you. And then like the narrator's like, oh, it's getting serious now. Right? You remember this? And then he says, I double dog dare you. And it's like, whoa, okay. Now, what's happening is they're playing out this coded exchange. That's, that's what the narrator is bringing out. And what happens is Flick's friend jumps from I double dog dare you to I triple dog dare you. And he leaves out I triple dare you. And by so doing breaks protocol and brings more seriousness to the matter of which he sticks his tongue on the pole. Okay? That, as silly as that sounds, and it is silly, very similar to what's happening here. There was this, well, if you go this way, then you're okay. If you go that way, then you're not, rather than just being honest. This is why Jesus gets upset. Check out Matthew 23. Uh, Matthew 23, 16. Jesus speaking, woe to you. Woes aren't passed out a lot. It's bad things. Woe is bad in the Bible. Woe 
to you blind guides, speaking to the leaders of the day, church leaders, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by his oath. How many times have you read this and not thought a thing of it? It goes on. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. You don't have to keep your word. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he's bound by his oath. I get it. We don't have temples. We do not have this room wrapped in gold. We do not have the kind of altar that you're bringing an animal to. But you get the point. You get what's going on here. He is bound by his oath. Again, you blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes a gift sacred. So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. Whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. They had a massive problem. Jesus was in a culture where people were more concerned with getting their own and still being, quote, good enough to get by. Can I tell you, we are living in that culture. Everybody has within them this sin nature, and many of us do, or know people who do, give over to this sinful, broken, of the devil philosophy that says, I want to be good enough to get to heaven, but bad enough to have fun until I do. If you don't realize that is the pervasive culture of our day, then you are as blind as they are. All of us are wrestling with this. I want to do as much good as I must, but enjoy as much as I can. And Jesus looks at this culture and he says, your hearts are broken. They're black. They're hard. They're jacked up. And let me make it worse. You're the leaders of the church. And this is still happening today. The leaders of church will take something, make it whatever you want. It can be an action, it can be a thought, it can be a philosophy, it doesn't matter. They can take something and say it is sin or it is not sin for their own benefit. Why were they talking about the altar anyway? Why not swear by the stars? Why not swear? Well, why swear by the gold in the temple? Because when gold was brought into the temple, they benefited. Why swear by the gift on an altar? Because when a gift was brought in, they as the leaders of the day benefited. This isn't just them being bad church leaders who don't understand doctrine. This is them being bad church leaders who are hoisting false philosophies on their listeners so that they can line their pockets. And it still happens today. So Jesus walks into the... He he is in this culture. And he realizes that the problem is that they don't have a heart for obeying God. This is the biggest thing. We're talking about oaths, but the, the umbrella over that is, do you have a heart to be obedient to God? Do you? Or are you on the side of things where you want to be obedient enough? What a joke of a word to add to the sacrifice that was given for those of us who are trusting in Christ to add the word enough to the back of it. As though there is some enough 
that we can do. But that's exactly what they had done. They built this system, and, and instead of following the heart of God, they made their own rules that they knew they could live by. If I need to make an oath so that somebody will do something, I'll make it in this way so I can get out of it. But if I want them to know, I'll make an oath this way and I'll line my pockets as I do. How broken we are when it comes to following through on our commitments. And here's another little thing, just a little asterisk. Isn't it interesting how often we complicate the simplicity of obeying God? Why do we make it so hard? I do this all the time. My wife hates this about me. I love systems. I love programs because I feel like it's going to cause the brokenness of me to be bypassed. So what happens is if I'm in a worship setting or let's just play this out. So you're in this place and you're like, I need to follow through with my commitments. Okay. Or another example, I need to be more service or it's Thanksgiving. I didn't do anything. I didn't go. I need to serve. Let me tell you what happens to Will. Will says, okay, God, you're putting it on my heart. I need to serve. Tuesdays are good days. First Tuesday of every month, I'm going to go and serve. I'm going to find a place. First Tuesday of every month, I'm going to go to this place. I'm going to go at this time. I'm going to bring this. Why are you complicating it? All God said was go serve. I just need to say, this Tuesday, I've got time. I'm going to go and serve somebody. I'm going to spend time on Sunday and Monday figuring it out, and I'm going to go. We do not need to overcomplicate serving God. He does not need access to your Google Calendar, right? Like, he doesn't need that. He owns all the little pixels of that digital calendar every time you look at it. He does not need the thumbprint access to your iPhone. He's got it. He, for those of us who have responded to the gospel, we are his or we are nothing. That, that's, that's how it plays out. We're his or we're nothing. It, And I think in addition to Jesus being angry and how God's words were being twisted, I think it's also just a saddening thing. Um, When you think about the fact that the Bible refers to the devil as the chief of liars, that when he lies, he is speaking his native tongue. And these people who are supposed to be following him, put yourself in this in this illustration here, these people who are supposed to be following him, even leading in that, not only weren't being honest, but went so far in the other direction that they truly were more like their father, the devil, than the father of all. And I, I, I think in addition to anger, there was probably a lot of sadness in Christ. So let's look at point three. How does Jesus get this back in focus? How does, how does Jesus look at a culture that's very similar to ours when it comes to commitments, when it comes to convenience, and how does he get this all back into focus? Oaths were about integrity. They encouraged truthfulness. They elicited faith in God, and they, they assured judgment if they weren't played out. When Jesus says, whether you swear by heaven or by earth, or by a city, or by your head. What he's trying to say is, I I double dog dare you to find something to swear by that God does not own. He says it doesn't matter whether you're swearing by or toward Jerusalem, he owns it. And it doesn't matter whether you're swearing by your head or by my good name, he owns it. 
There's no, there is no promise or commitment we can make that God is not a part of because you are an image bearer of God, whether you are a believer or not. And because of that, you are held to a standard that God and God alone sets. So Jesus says, if men are going to play games, if they're going to twist the truth, then we're just going to get rid of oaths. That's what we're going to have to do. If you're going to twist it and you're going to play games with it, then just get rid of oaths altogether. It was a good thing. It was a great thing. God made an oath on himself. But you, obviously, culture, are not able to handle this. So let's simplify it. If you say yes, do yes. If you say no, be no. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And Jesus starts reeling back on this huge tangled fishing line of a mess that the culture had made with something so simple as do not lie. And he reels it all the way back and he says, look, if you say you're going to do something, do it. If you say you're not going to do something, don't do it. Be a man, be a woman who honors your word. I'm going to get to application and close this out, but just one thought that's on the tip of my heart. Most of us are thinking about this, I would imagine, in the context of our peers, employers, or employees. Can I just tell you that the majority of our flippant words are used towards our children, our grandchildren, and our nieces and nephews? There's a lot less accountability when a seven-year-old gets let down by you than when a 47-year-old gets let down by you. And I think as people of God, people who are trying to be people of God, that should be on the forefront of our mind. Are the words that I'm saying to my children, to my grandchildren, to my nieces and nephews, to the little ones around me who are just now building what it is to be a man or a woman who pursues God, are they seeing in me an example of someone who is bound by their word when they say something? It's just on my heart, so I want to share it. One of the reasons Jesus is so serious here is because we read in Matthew 12, 36, this is just going to pop up, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Let me just stop and leave that on the screen for a minute, because that should terrify all of us. Right? Like, if God's word is... And, and, and here's the thing about church. Like, if you're new to this, let me just give you the thing about church. You just have to decide if you believe this is true or not. The rest really takes care of itself. Okay? Do I believe this is true or do I not? Because if you believe this is true, that is terrifying. Right? Like, right now, you're playing through the car ride over here. You're playing through last night. You're playing through breakfast this morning. That is a terrifying truth. And here's the deal. I got no pretty bow to put on it. I've got no fluffy money that's going to run across the screen and make you feel good inside. There's no cute turkey emoji that's about to pop up. That's just it. Every word we utter matters. I was talking with Karen in this morning. She was saying, you know, are you excited? Are you nervous? I was like, no, I love this. I'm pumped about it. Um, And I said, I feel a little odd because... I'm progressively getting less anxious about preaching um, to you guys. Y'all know this. Adults are not my thing. Um, But I'm getting progressively less anxious. 
And yet, on, on one hand, I love that. And on the other hand, I realize that that is a terrifying piece of wood. That the moment you stand behind this with this in front of you, every word that is, and it's true of all of us. It doesn't matter if there's a piece of wood in front of you when you're talking. But this is a terrifying place to stay because of that scripture. Every word that we say. But, but I think it's also a big deal because of what we read in James chapter 3. We all stumble in many ways. Here's the deal. You've all lied. You've all broken your word. We all have done that. We've all stumbled in many ways. But what a unique, encouraging perspective to take here. And if anyone... Do you have that, Josiah? Thanks. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he, she, perfect. Able also to bridle their whole body. Our words are like the entrance to a stadium. Rivalry, right? Yesterday was rivalry day. People are pouring in to these... They're pouring into this small entrance, this funnel, where you're slammed together like cattle. And as soon as you get through it, you see this great expanse. Those are our words to your heart. The the words that we speak, and whether or not we honor them, belies the greater truth that is behind it. That, That is what our words are, and why Jesus takes this so seriously. We've all lied. Is it our heart to be honest? Let's hit some application. So what does this mean for you? How can we be people who honor God by honoring our word? This is first and foremost, and I hope that I have drawn this out up to this point. We must have a heart that desires obedience. You must have a heart that desires obedience. Here's the deal. Hit pause before we go on to anything else. The only way to have a heart that desires obedience to God is to run to that cross. The only way to have a heart that desires the things of God is to run there. It is granted by Him and it is secured by Him. So if you have walked in this room and what you have heard to this point is, I need to be a person who speaks honestly, that is true, but that is not the biggest truth. The biggest truth is you will never be a person who has a desire to honor your word. You will always be a person who pursues convenience and comfort over honesty unless God changes your heart. There is no way for you to try hard enough to bear down and grit it. I'm going to be a man who honors his word. There is no way for you to do that. If the jacked up heart that wants to do just enough but still have a good time, if that heart does not get broken on the throne of God and then rebuilt by him, 2 Corinthians 5.17. The old has gone, the new has come, and that is something that only God does through His Son on the cross. And if you haven't done that, then as I close, I'll be praying. I pray that you would respond in that moment to Christ, to ask for the forgiveness of your sins, to put your trust in the promise that God made to rescue those who trust in Him. One, we have to have a heart that desires obedience. This is the issue that Jesus dealt with then and now. I, I, okay, I don't have my phone on me, I didn't have my watch on me, there's no clock on the back, and I had a little panic moment, but there's a little one right here, and I didn't realize that, I'm not panicking now. There is nothing wrong with convenience, and there's nothing wrong with comfort. I want you to hear me say this, because there are a lot of people who are not meeting in an air-conditioned room, 
And, and I don't think that for that reason we need to turn it off. I don't think you need to turn your heat off. I don't think you need to go throw away the Christmas outfit that you're so excited about or those shoes. Like, I, I, I don't think that needs to happen. Ladies, guys, I think it's great that you're pumped about your new camo. And if it will ever get cold outside, how excited you are to actually wear the jacket. There is nothing wrong with comfort and convenience. There is something exceedingly wrong with that being your pursuit. Praise God for every gift you've been given. And be generous in giving of what you have been given. It is not comfort and convenience that is the problem. It is when we pursue that over obedience to God. That's the problem. Number one, we have to have a heart that desires obedience. Number two, we need to avoid flippant and abhor deceptive words. These are two things I combine in one. We need to not be flippant with our words and we need to hate deceptive words. Now, it's easy to do when they're spoken to us. We all know when somebody's just giving us the time of day and it gets under our skin. We, we can tell when we feel like somebody's being deceptive with us and it makes the hair stand up on our back and, and we get a little, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is you, me. We need to hate our own flippant speech. We need to hate our own deceptive speech. Let me get, let's get this real right now. You sit down on the couch. You just got your plate out of the microwave or off of the oven, depending on how the night went. All right, you're sitting down, you flip on the game, drink, food, couch, kids are taken care of, fork goes in, you go to take a bite and you hear, hey, we need you. And you're like, ah, right? Like, no, don't you know how excited I was about whatever, right? So, and here's what we say. I'll be right there. No, you won't. <laughs> I'll be right there. And then it ends up being third and three with three minutes left in the fourth. And you're like, well, I can't get up now. Now, it's comical. But what example are we setting to our spouses? What example are we setting to our kids? Let me prove that by the rule. What kind of a husband would you be if the moment you said you were coming, you came? What, what kind of a wife, what kind of an employee would you be if the moment you said, you can borrow my, well, this is more for kids, you can borrow my phone in five minutes. And then your, your kid realizes you never look at your watch, you never looked at the clock, you don't even know what time is, they just know daddy's saying be quiet for a minute, ask again later. We use our words flippantly, and when we do, it belies that what I'm concerned with is my convenience, not honoring my word. Not even to go into the fact that we're supposed to be more concerned with others than ourselves. Thought number two. Again, that happens a lot for our kids. I'll pray for you. Somebody walks up, they share something, and you say, I'll pray for you. And you walk off, and the next time you remember it, this is the, God, this is the worst. You get the text. Everything's better. Thanks for praying. It's like there's nothing you can... God, can I just retroactively pray that in the past, you who are above all time and space hear my prayer and would enact it then, Lord, would you do that? You know what I've started doing when people ask me if I'll pray for them? I say, yeah, can I pray with you right now? 
I, I don't think that it alleviates the need for us to be less concerned with ourselves and more concerned with others and actually pray for people. But I, I think that's one of those flippant where here's another one. I'm working on it. No, you're not. Your, empl- your, your boss just came down and poked his head in the door and said, how's so-and-so going? And you said, I'm working on it because the moment those words came out, you actually were. You're like, no, I am. I am working, I am working on it. This is what we do. This is what I'm saying. We laugh. And at the beginning, remember I said, why should we think about this? Because we disregard our words. That's being deceptive. That's lying. That's one of the big ten, right? 603 laws. God decided to highlight ten of them. It's one. Thou shalt not lie. Being deceptive is exceedingly busted. Do we hate sin? You're supposed to meet, supposed to meet somebody for lunch? Maybe it's not entirely your fault. The kids aren't, are all naked or something happened, car went and tired. But I don't know. But instead of just owning it, hey, slept in, didn't set my alarm, blah, blah, blah. You send, drive in there now, almost there, as you like. <laughs> no, you're not. You're just minimizing your own fault. We're flippant and deceptive. With our words, when we say we're going to be somewhere or do something, we should honor our word. It doesn't matter if it's your preschooler's friend's second birthday. I don't even know why they would have one, but people do crazy stuff now. And and, and you say, yeah, we'll be there. And, And instead you find a reason to say something came up. Recluses can't be missional. If we're always saying no to the things of the world because I don't know my four-year-old's friends' friends, we are turning down massive opportunities to be a light in places that may not have them. We should be making commitments, and we should be making inconvenient commitments because those inconvenient commitments put us in front of people who need to know the one who will never break a promise. I think that counts whether it's a Facebook invite, something that comes in the mail with glitter on it, or an RSVP that you email. Hint, hint, at InsideCrossPoint.com. I think those things matter. Um, Some of you own businesses, buildings, and equipment, and you get asked if people can borrow or use those things. And you've been burned in the past. But instead of just simply saying no, you say, yeah, we should get together and figure that out. Yeah, I'm sure we can find a time, knowing good well you're not going to do that. Think it it through ahead. I do not lend out my chainsaw. It's not because I love it. It's a decent chainsaw, Husqvarna, 435, I like it. But it's because I don't want somebody to cut their arm off with my chainsaw. That's why I don't lend it out. So instead, I say, I'm sorry, I don't lend that out, but let me know when you're doing it, and I will try to make it. I will commit to you a time where I can come and help you out. Businesses, buildings, equipment. Thirdly, I think we should pursue, and and by the way, there are a million other flippant, deceptive words that we use, and the one that you thought of that I didn't say still counts, all right? Thirdly, because I didn't, see, here's the thing. Me saying it is one thing. God putting it on your heart, that's like, right, to the second power or infinite power. I don't know how that works. To the I or the impact. All right, third and final point. We should pursue honest and thoughtful speech. It's not just about not saying things, it's about when we do. 
Ephesians 4.15 tells us to speak the truth in love. Some of you have friends who claim to be believers but live like they are not. Some of you have friends who are not believers. I just talked with somebody walking in. And it gets harder and harder every year in every conversation when they haven't responded to the gospel to continue to hold out for hope that they will. Our speech needs to be honest, which means if we need to talk to someone that is close to us, who is given in to a homosexual lifestyle, we need to have that conversation. If, if there is someone that you are close to, the holiday season, that drinks a little bit too much, that's a conversation that you need to have. The Bible tells us that we are the, we are the ones who carry this thing out. And the way to do it is to not beat around the bush, but also not beat down the bush. That's the tension you want to hold. You don't want to have a 20-minute conversation to talk with somebody about an area that you are concerned about because you want them to be right with God, and they don't even know what's happening. You also don't want to just show up and say, well, I guess you want to go to hell. Like There are right ways and wrong ways to do this. We speak the truth in love. But here's the deal. We speak the truth, right? It's not just in love, we speak the truth. Many of us in this room right now know a person that we need to talk to and have that not beating around nor beating down the bush conversation with. That is exceedingly hard to do. And I know that. And as a pastor, people come and they want my advice. And that drives my wife crazy because then I get used to people wanting my advice and I just offer it freely, usually to the people who are around me most. And it drives her crazy. I know that that is a difficult thing to do. But it is not just for pastors or religious leaders or parents. It is for all of us who are walking according to the Word of God. That person in your life, God has specifically placed in the hopes that you would Fight the desire for comfort and convenience and have a truthful conversation with them. I think this even plays out when you're checking out at Target or Walmart or Land's End, depending. And you just, can you check out at Land's End? Is that a store? That wouldn't count. Let's go with the Brookstone store. All right, so I've given you all three tiers there. When you're checking out, Whole Foods would have been better. When you're checking out and the cashier says, how are you doing? Somebody just asked you about your life, believer. Like, that is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to say, you know what? Today's been really rough. My mom's in the hospital. I've been praying for her. I would love it if you would pray for her. And maybe they're not a believer. And you're like, why would I ask somebody if I don't know they're a believer to pray? Because it shows them they're not a believer. It causes them to question, why am I not a person who's praying? Why, why is that not a part? But it's also an opportunity to display the glory of the goodness that God has been in your life. How are you doing? I am doing phenomenal. We had three huge things that were going on this week, and I was praying all week that they would go through smoothly, and praise God they did. Thank you for asking. Like, what an opportunity to just speak honestly and thoughtfully. Let me, let me end with this little application I'm going to pray for us. Many of us overcommit and we say yes to too many things and it causes us to break our word by preferring convenience and comfort. Many of us overcommit and it causes... This is why I'm saying be thoughtful with your speech. 
You say yes too much, okay? Now, some of you are patting yourselves on the back. Don't do that yet. Some of us say no far too often. Because we don't want to commit, we, we would rather just be able to do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want, and we want to own our clock. And we say no to so much that we end up making no commitments. We end up missing out on opportunities to live this truth out. That people who love God are honest, honorable, integrity-driven people because their God is. So there has to be, and that's what I'm saying, like, think about this. How many days a week do you have that are actually free? Some of you have more than others. But you should at least have something in your family schedule where you can commit to something outside of yourself to be somewhat missional. And when you commit to it, you follow through with it. When we read in Matthew 5 about oaths, when we read about not taking an oath by heaven or earth or ourselves, simply making our yes, yes, and our no, no, what Jesus is saying is, follow me. Not one word ever fell from my lips that I did not live out. He's saying, look at my God. Thousands of years before, Words proceeded from the mouth of God that not only created what was around us, but laid out prophecy after prophecy, of which we are going to be celebrating in the month to come. Prophecy after prophecy that he fulfilled and he fulfilled and he fulfilled and he fulfilled. We ought to be people who honor our words. And if we don't have a heart for it, we need to run to the cross and work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I, I, I thank you for everybody. I thank you for everybody who is here. And God, I, I want to be this. I, I pray that we all would want to be this, to be men who honor their word. And not just in the old school, I'm a man of my word way, but in a really, really God-centered, I'm a man who honors his word because I serve a God who always fulfilled his. And I am running headlong into pursuing and adoring my God. I am running headlong into emulating the Savior who rose from the dead and said, follow me. And Father, as we, as we work through this text and looked at something that is so pervasive as not honoring our own word, I pray that it showed us our brokenness and our sin. And that if there was anyone in this room that realized they did not have a heart for obedience that they would cry out to the one who gives a new heart, that they would repent of their lying and all of the other sins that come because of our brokenness, the sin that is our nature, the sin that we choose, and instead that they would put their hope and their trust in Jesus, who is always honorable and true, who lived the life that we should have lived, died the death that we should have died, and rose again in victory over death. I pray that they would put their trust in Him. And Father... I pray for this as a missional reality for us. Your word calls believers to be distinct, a light on a hill. It doesn't matter if we're at home, at work, at play, or in between. You call us to be a light on a hill. Honoring our word is one of the greatest ways we can separate ourselves 
from a culture that is flippant and deceptive. So, Father, I pray that you would call us to ourselves, that you would call us to righteousness, and that you would receive glory as we pursue obedience and find our joy in it. And it's in Christ's name we pray.